Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Care and Feeding of Werewolves. Feeding of Werewolves, Episode 1, Gate of Horror. Created by Brenna Anderson Dowd, Karen Feeding of Werewolves is a dark, modern fantasy podcast within a podcast, addressing current events and issues in the paranormal community. Hosted by Hazel Thornton, Witch for Hire, and Doctor. When her grandmother disappears without a trace, Hazel drops out of her medical residency program to look for her and take over the family clinic for supernatural beings, only to find more people are going missing. She takes it upon herself to warn and educate the community, search for the lost, and manage a full patient load, all while keeping the paranormal world a secret safe from humans. Anderson Dowd serves as the show's main writer, director, and performs the voice of Hazel. Working with her is Freddie Elmore, who does additional writing, produces and sound designs the show, as well as performs most of the other voices, including Julia the Orc, Hazel's friend. The first episode, Gate of Horn, has Hazel warning her listeners about the strange disappearances plaguing the supernatural community and her investigation so far. The second episode, The Garden, takes a more humorous tone where we get a glimpse into Hazel's life at the clinic and she adopts a baby dragon. I spoke to Brenna and Freddie remotely from their homes. I wanted to bring this up and because I realized that um, this was entirely appropriate is tonight is a full moon. Yes. Yeah. It's the wolf moon, in fact. Uh, yes. So I guess it's faded that we should be talking at this particular time. <laughs> Would you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do on care and feeding of werewolves? I guess since I am the mastermind behind this evil plot, my name is <laughs> Brenna Anderson Dowd. I am the main writer, the director, the producer, and I play the lead role of Hazel Thornton. So in other words, I do everything. <laughs> and then I give all the crappy editing stuff to Freddie and go, here you go, go play with sound. Freddie, who are you? I am the 
other half of Care and Feeding of Werewolves. I am part of the writing team in the sense that I do the quips and stuff like that when Brenna gets stuck. Um, I have a background in comedy, but I do most of the voices from Juliet to Assenborough to, you know, the pixies in the garden. The only one that I don't do is the one that's voiced by Brenna's Cockatiel and Hazel so far. Yes. Uh, Dobby the Cockatiel. Yes. yes. <laughs> Dobby the Cockatiel. He's just the most photogenic out of my three cockatiels. Because there's three of them, we can't always separate out the noise, but took the best picture of the prettiest one and put them on there. I do want to say that this is the first audio drama that I've interviewed that had uh, an animal actor that I'm aware of anyway. What Freddie does is something really cool is he has been splicing it with the sounds that baby alligators, or was it crocodiles? Um, it was uh, first one was baby crocodiles, and the other one was his mating call was a bullfrog. So let me ask you, how did you guys get together and how did you meet and start working on this project together? Well, we met several years ago at a at Several a years, party. more like 15 years ago. Yeah, we've known each other. We yeah, used, well, we've, see, we that's still a kind of several. We, um, <laughs> as you can see, we can kind of finish each other's sentences. We joke that we have two brain cells and we share them between us. We're good friends. After I discovered podcasts last year, I, I've i always been a writer and I always kind of did the whole, oh, I have a novel in me. I can do this. But I never actually had a proper storyline for a novel until I started spitballing with Freddie about what if we did this? And then I swear to all the gods above, Freddie took voice note of himself expounding upon the need to expel <laughs> the anal glands in werewolves. I, I did not recognize his voice. I, I just went, okay, we're doing this. I was like, you're the sound guy. <laughs> and I kind of just went whole hog and dragged Freddie along with me because I don't do anything by halves. And so when did this process uh, start for the working on the show? End of April was when we had the grand idea. May is when we started putting it into effect. It just seemed like there were a lot of people wishing for this kind of a podcast, this kind of media. I'd had the idea for Hazel and the garden and her family living in my head probably like 16 years, but never congealed properly into a novel form. But when people, because we were spitballing on social media with mutual friends about, oh, if we did this and we could have this concept for an episode and what about this? And it just kind of overnight just blew up into, it was like Athena popping out of my head, fully formed. Freddie, what was it about this idea that Brenna had that attracted you to want to work with her? Just about all of it. It's comedy, but it gets it can get pretty dark. Yeah, well, you're dealing with some pretty dark themes. Even from the first episode, it's not terribly, terribly dark, but there's a missing grandmother and there's, you know, mm -hmm. there could be violence involved. But then by episode two, you've got some comedy back into the mix. So, yeah, right. I definitely see you guys moving back and forth between the two genres. Right. And the richness of the world that we've created, you, you should see all the stuff that we have to, to draw on. The stuff being Brenna's notes or? Brenna's notes and just the background texts and all of that stuff. And it's... people will send us things like memes or ideas. Um, I, I have a stage before the writing process that I call the magpie stage, where I'll collect things mm -hmm. like art, 
uh, memes or texts that friends have sent me or random blurbs that I've pulled from writing prompts and I will play with them like they're little Legos and I'll keep them in my shiny little box for later so that way I can pull them out and go, we need an idea for this or we need a joke or a random threat. Like how would a healer threaten somebody? Well, these hands can double as AED paddles. Imagine what they can do to you when I'm not trying to restart your heart, things like that. And so (laughs) we have those in a communal file to, to draw upon whenever we have that moment of, oh, I have a writer's block or whatever. And we can get as deep as we want with all of this. Like when I was writing the commercial for Magigon in uh, Sick as a Dragon, we even got down into how Magigon could work inside the body, you know, like how it could fight magical sicknesses with like, oh, compliment system and like totally nerded out about it. And this, <laughs> this is my bread and butter. This is what I love. And then I get a text going, I need random side effects. <laughs> Spontaneous levitation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? Brenda, you said you have a background in writing? I do. And actually in healthcare. I was one of those, you know, kids whose mom taught them to read before school. And I would turn in eight pages for like a three page creative story in school. And of course, I got stamped, you know, gifted and talented, which means that I turned out into a maladjusted adult millennial who's burnt out on life. But (laughs) and I went to university to actually study to teach literature and writing and actually theater. Um, And then lo and behold, the burnt out aspect of millennialism reared up and bit me on the butt. And I remembered that I actually don't like kids that much. So I didn't want to teach. And Freddie? I actually, I have a background in writing too. I uh, was published for the first time at 15, won a couple contests as a teenager. And then at around the age of 26, I got writer's block that lasted until uh, last spring. I deal with uh, disabling mental illness, actually. So I battle with that quite a bit. I have rapid cycling bipolar, complex PTSD, and dissociative disorder. All of those kind of combine to make it very difficult to do a heck of a lot of stuff out in public. So I tend to be very shy, rather reclusive. Getting out into the podcast has been kind of stretching boundaries a lot with me because I'm way more public than I ever have been with anything I've made. I suppose I was naive and hoped that all this would be a quick search and rescue, but it's rapidly becoming apparent that this is more of a marathon than a sprint, and I am woefully unprepared. I have no idea what made me think I could do anything to help. I suppose I wasn't thinking, just reacting, which is one of the many reasons why you're not supposed to treat loved ones. But it's too late now. Can you guys tell me in your own words what care and feeding of werewolves is? What does it mean to you? Honestly, um, I'm originally from the U.S. and I have recently been called by someone from the U.S. What was it that that I thought was so quaint that I was a pinko commie. (laughs) 
And now that I'm living here in Canada, I fit in mostly with Canadian outlooks and politics here. Like Freddie's mentioned, he's disabled. I also have mental illnesses in a different range and um, I'm able to work, but only mm-hmm. because of the supports that I have here that weren't available to me in the U.S. So that's and having worked in healthcare, especially because I was working in healthcare when the Affordable Care Act was being debated. And that's part of the reason why I am so focused on Hazel as a healthcare worker, because she's going to mess up. I mean, there is a lot of bias in medical education and she's from a middle class family and she's white because I'm white and we're I don't do that that we're not going to go there. We don't do that in the show. Every character is written for whoever is cast. Like Freddie got to write his own character. The couple of people upcoming here soon um, have a say in their characters. And I looked at them because I know them from way back. I went, okay, you... We did have a token straight guy. <laughs> it's a cameo. Um, Those token straights. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> It was completely by accident, actually, because we just asked because he's also a friend of ours. And we're like, hey, we found the token. But and again, as a showrunner, I'm probably going to screw up, too, because, you know, I'm I joke that I'm mostly straight, even though I'm, I'm bi because I'm married to a guy and I'm white and I'm middle class. And so especially if you have the power of somebody in the role of a doctor, I mean, Freddie and I could tell you horror stories about doctors who looked at us and made assumptions based on how we looked, on the money that we had or didn't have. And so I want her to be an example of how things could be, of how care providers could be. But I also am absolutely against making her a white savior or anything of the like. So I want her to be (laughs) human, as it were, because nobody's infallible. So that's kind of my little soapbox is I want to make changes in the world. I am going to do it through stories. So these are the stories about Hazel, who uh, her most of her patients are people that are certainly not humans. Mm-hmm. These are people that are vastly different from the experiences that we, the listeners, have. So I think that's a really interesting frame uh, for you to use. There's been a lot of issues around racial coding, like um, Julia is a half-orc. Traditionally, orcs have been coded as black in nerd communities Mm. for various reasons. But if you actually go back through the history, as Freddie has been doing, they're originally from Italian folklore. Yep. They were mountain people. And so we're trying to take that away and separate that coding and, and again, take it back to the original part, because racism is going to play a major part of this. Because if you have people that look at people who are different because they're in a wheelchair, because they've got a different color of skin, because they wear some cloth on their heads and people make assumptions and attack them or even take hostages and shoot them up in the middle of a prayer. How do you think they're going to react to somebody who looks vaguely like a demon from their particular religion? There's no need to go looking for horror when it's right there in our own history. Freddie, you do the voice of Julia the Orc. Yeah. So tell me, uh, okay, Julia is traditionally a female name, but Julia the Orc uses he pronouns. Um, What's going on with that? 
Julia is actually Vincent Julia, but he goes by Julia because of an interesting thing. And he was denied his grandfather's name when he was born because of how he looked when he came out of the womb. He was the product of a one-night stand into a very traditional Italian-American family. His mother was disowned for it, especially when the baby came out looking distinctly non-human. So he goes by Julia as kind of an, hey, fuck you. To his grandfather, you know. This is a, another story that happens a lot. It's people being ostracized by their family for things that they have no control over in their own life. Right. Julia was actually born female. In this case, it was used to his advantage that he's trans because it actually helped him fit in better with his peers. Most of his struggles come from being half work and trying to decide whether or not to undo the cosmetic stuff that his mother had done and whether or not to embrace his orcishness. Freddie, what does this show mean to you? It comes from a long, long, lifelong love of folklore and urban legends and specifically the morality plays of the Middle Ages and mm. Renaissance period and on up and the way they're all interconnected. Uh, one grows from another and from another. And the way basically social morality is enforced through these tales. And I find it interesting because. It's fun to dissect. And we do a lot of that with care and feeding of werewolves. And we do it from an intersectional perspective. Taking apart the layers, the nuances of these legends and applying them to the real world today and creating these things. That's one of the things that draws me with care and feeding of werewolves is because we get to do a similar thing with it. Yeah, you're right. Folklore, almost always, the stories that come out of that have some sort of moral lesson attached to them. We can debate whether you agree or disagree with the moral being taught, but they're exemplary tales. You know, they're they're designed to teach a lesson or to uh, show a pattern of behavior. And uh, I think it's interesting that you're sort of reappropriating that idea um, with the perspective that both of you are trying to bring to cultural relations and race relations and uh, medicine. Fiction does a way of giving a distance. Instead of turning it into a sermon, it coaches it in ways that entertains the listener without making them sound like they're being lectured. And it certainly is entertaining. So Karen Feeding of Werewolves is a podcast within a podcast, right? It's a fictional podcast uh, hosted by Hazel, who is speaking to her audience about the disappearances. And in episode one, you really kind of lay out, here are the specifics, here are the investigation that I've done so far. And then in episode two, you really, I think, do a nice pivot into comedy where you've got a uh, trans-dimensional David Attenborough clone <laughs> Um, <laughs> coming and describing the life around Hazel's house and garden. Witches are omnivores with a very diet. This one is making a meal of tea and toast, which appears to be a staple for her, as you can see the remnants of previous kills. On average, witches range from 1.5 to 1.8 meters in height. This one is on the lower end of that scale and weighs... <laughs> no. Ah, there are... Uh... 
That also is the episode where you introduce the little dragon autoclave or auto. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of humor packed into episode two. Talk to me about the way you guys are approaching drama versus comedy and the way you're telling your story in this episodic nature. What generally happens, like we already have um, season two roughly plotted out. So it's like, okay, this one is going to be really dark and emotional. You can't really pivot from that to comedy. Mm -hmm. So we go from that to a slightly more dramatic one or a slightly more serious one, but without meeting that same dark tone. I mean, granted, since we're coming at this and we're new, maybe wouldn't have gone from the comedy of five to the darkness of six the way that we did. We learned a little bit better for the next season. And so we can go with the standalone ones that are a little bit more humor or maybe more folklore or maybe an actual interview with someone who is a real world healthcare worker playing a role. Hazel, I'm here. A half-orc intruder encroaches upon the witch's territory. Be down in a minute! This one has reached an adult height of 1.8 meters. Note the missing canines. This puts him at a disadvantage when it comes to defending himself and his territory. Despite his larger size... The male defers to the smaller female's dominance, perhaps because of his youth. The lack of ink and other ornamentations, which are used to communicate prowess and virility, mark this one as a newly matured male. I thought you got rid of this guy. I don't know what he is, so it's a little hard to block out an unknown entity that can go incorporeal at will and appears to travel between dimensions. If you've got an idea, I'm all ears. He's all eyes. He's got so many, it feels like he's always watching you. Oh, I know, right? When you look back on your first episode, how do you feel about how it went? I feel good about it. I wasn't sure. I was really, 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 really intimidated by the software that I was using to audio edit because I'd never done audio editing before. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lot in that for a new sound editor, there was a lot of sound cues in there to try and blend. <laughs> and I have anxiety about, you know, learning new technology. And so, you know, it, it took, took a bit. It took a bit. I am so proud of Freddie. Like I dropped this in his lap and in <laughs> six months learned how to do all this. But for the writing, most out of everything, I am most proud of my writing in my part of this. With my mental illnesses, I tend to obsess. I tend to look back and obsess things and, and tear it apart until hmm. I drive myself a little bonkers. And then Freddie has to talk me down off the ledge going, knock it off. <laughs> And I do the same thing with him, like with the, oh, we're not going to make the deadline. Okay, fine. We'll come up with an excuse. Auto ate the recording equipment. It's fine. Looking back, it's really nothing different in the writing that I would change. In the acting, I'm still doing that. <laughs> I'm still obsessing over my acting. Just earlier today, Freddie was metaphorically slapping me upside the head going, stop it. Stop it. Because I'm like, oh, this sounds too wooden. I don't have enough vocal range. I need to, I sound too stilted here. And some of the earlier stuff, I'm like, 
I hadn't relaxed into my she character made me enough cry yet. Twice while I was audio editing, so you know <laughs> she, she made like, you cry with my it's acting. With my six. acting, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious as to what you struggle with creatively uh, as you work on the show. In terms of the show, it's also working out the writing processes because we're still figuring out some of the pacing. Like for a little while there, it was like, yeah, there's a little bit of mystery. There's a lot of comedy because we kind of wanted to get people addicted to the show and kind of, you know, have fun with the characters. And then out of nowhere comes episode six, where it's literally a dark, 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 dark topic. You know, how do you set expectations for the listeners? And we're playing with different formats because we don't want to marry ourselves to one specific format and dedicate ourselves to it because there's a lot of podcasts within a podcast formats but we don't want to do just that, nor do we want to only do, you know, traditional audio drama. We want to do what feels right for the episode that we want to write instead of we have to do it this way. So playing with those within the overall audio drama format is a bit of a balance. Freddie, what do you struggle with creatively? Um, generally, untreated ADHD. Yeah. Mostly it's keeping my mind on what I'm doing and not wandering off into another project. I'm working on, you know, one part of the podcast for an hour and then another part of the podcast for an hour and then, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's useful to have different things to hop between, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but most of the time when I'm in the percolating stage of getting an idea, when I'm just like accumulating all the media and ambient ideas and stuff like that, it can be difficult to move from that into the actual creative, put it down on paper or in through the microphone or what have you. Yeah. Because you both brought up your mental health issues. Is that part of your thinking in terms of what you want to accomplish thematically in this show? This probably won't come as any surprise to anybody at least topically familiar with mental health issues is that it can inform so much of your life, the way you perceive the world, how you perceive yourself. I can't write a character who feels like she has to take care of the community and save her grandmother and help her friend who's effectively still a teenager without bringing into it some of my anxiety. And so many people with mental health issues have had them often exacerbated by the modern healthcare system. Some people can't get what they need. And so they often end up coming away from it worse off sometimes, or sometimes maybe more traumatized because of that. And I want to address some of those issues within the show. So it's more of a, an experiment of what that might look like. Freddie, what are your thoughts about the intersection of mental health and your show? For me, it's important to talk about mental health on the show because it's something that's so, so, so stigmatized for one. And for another, people have to learn about ways to help themselves because a lot of times, even in the healthcare system, there's not a way to find help. A lot of ways it's priced out of range. I'm extremely low income. I've gotten to the point where to get treated for anything beyond, you know, a mental health crisis, I have to pay out of pocket for an online mental health service. I have Medicare because I'm disabled because of my mental illness, but Medicare does not cover treatment for mental illness. 
it also allows us a way to vent and to talk about it, talk about our own experiences, even if it's, you know, a little removed, even if it's fictionalized, we can still talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the audio dramas that I've interviewed have had mental health as part of their central ideas, but it's still not, it's really still not a big topic that pops up in mainstream media, at least not in any way that's not framed in in terms of sensationalism. I still have a hard time finding any media where somebody with dissociative identity disorder, which is something that I deal with, isn't portrayed as some serial killer or some kind or another. And it's like, I'm nonviolent. All of my personas are nonviolent. It just, we're more likely to hide in a closet and cry. It's rough because people hear that diagnosis and I've been broken up with because of it. I've had friendships end after they found out about di- that diagnosis. After years of friendship, the, the stigma is strong. How do you measure success? Yeah, generally, if I feel like I learned something while making the episode, it's a success. Also, what people say about each episode, the um, the feedback, the fan feedback. And I think I know we'll hit the big time when we get the fan fiction. <laughs> fan work, be it fan art, be it <laughs> fan fics. That feeling that other people are getting inspired by what we're passionate about. On Twitter today, I was asking about uh, Q&A episodes and kind of getting some ideas for people would be interested in that. And somebody that I don't think I'd ever interacted with before on Twitter, no offense to them, my memory also sucks, popped up at what I would totally throw in some questions because I'm a big fan. And I'm like, oh, oh. We really do exist out there to random people sort of sense of validation that 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 overwhelming sense of I have to live up to this weird expectation I have set in my head that this person might have. <laughs> Speaking of anxiety. <laughs> Rosemary Thornton is five foot three and 140 pounds with gray eyes. She looks middle aged. As of three weeks ago, her hair was dyed blue and purple. She has a floral half-sleeve tattoo on her left upper arm. Daisies for her mother, Rose for my mother, and uh, Hazel for me. I have a similar one done as a bracelet with Rosemary instead of Witch Hazel. I suppose that might help identify my body if I happen to vanish and turn up dead in a ditch. If you have any knowledge about Rosemary Thornton, Owen Grimsbane, or any of the other missing, please let me know. Updates will follow when we have them. And until then, please stay safe. Lovers of modern fantasy will sink their teeth into Karen feeding the werewolves as it explores the lives of fantastic creatures who must live at the fringes of human society. The show also isn't afraid to experiment with tone and format to tell the story it wants to. But deep at its core, it's about challenging assumptions and questioning how society treats those who need care, compassion, and healing. You can listen to Care and Feeding of Werewolves on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. 
The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.